one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? You would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love being trappers in a positive way. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got very bullshit saying the judge, if you got bog traffic. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get them better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here as always. Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Pros has a full line of trapping supplies, baits and lures, everything you need to get started on the trap line or to restock for uh, the next season. We're also brought to you by Onyx Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line on xmaps.com you download the app and then you use it everywhere on your desktop your laptop your tablet your phone and uh, i've been using this uh, exclusively on the trap line i haven't been using gps anymore because Onyx has all the tools that i need and it backs up all my waypoints for me in case i drop my phone which i've done several times and uh, at onxmaps.com, you can use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off of your first purchase. I just reviewed the stats, and I talked with uh, the representative there at Onyx uh, and had a really good conversation about all of you guys that used the promo code over the past year. That has really been great. I'm glad that uh, to introduce everybody to the Onyx experience, and uh, they're really glad to have you along. And I'm also glad there's a little bit of kickback there. Helps out uh, support supporting the, the channel, supporting the podcast, tra- supporting Traffic Today and everything that's going on. So thanks for supporting Onyx and Cots Bros and any other advertiser that we may uh, have, including Trapping Today Store, my own uh, particular site where you can pick up books, lures, shirts, and uh, a bunch of other things. But I'm not here to talk too much about uh, Trapping Today Store right now because I have something else to talk about that I have going on that's that's coming up. But uh, uh, just first, a quick overview of what we're going to talk about in this episode. Again, this is like, you know, we went to monthly podcast episodes for, for quite a while there, uh, which, which worked really awesome for my busy schedule. But um, I found uh, a little bit more time this time of year. I've been having some free days here and there. And uh, believe it or not, there's a lot to talk about. It's that time of year, so it's been great. Have a, a lot of things. I actually have been doing quite a few episodes, and I've I have a few more that I would like to do. So I, I don't want to overwhelm you guys, but uh, but got a lot to say right now. So 
I do want to make a quick mention because I, I hinted at this at the previous episode, but uh, I am working on a new project for trapping today. And I, I, I told you there was something coming. I didn't tell you what it was. Actually, some of you guys that have emailed me and uh, we've gone back and forth a little bit. I, I, have, I have told you what's going on. But the rest of you I have been in the dark. And I wasn't really sure when or how or if this would completely materialize. But I'm in the uh, finishing stages of it. So getting very close. So I think it's close enough where I can let you know this is what's happening. So, oh, and if you hear a little whining in the background, I got Black Lab pup named Fisher, who is uh, sit, hanging out here with me in the fur shed, and he gets a little bit antsy when I'm not paying attention to him. So uh, he, he, he might do a little bit of whining here and there. Hopefully he'll be pretty calm. But um, anyway, so I, I had thought about this for quite a while, like what I wanted to do moving forward for Trapping Today, because... For me personally, I am not excited or happy unless I'm moving forward. I like progress. I like momentum. And I want to be growing this thing and doing things that are going to raise uh, the awareness, the status, the number of people that that um, are interacting with Trapping Today, part of the community and all that. So I, I, I was looking for the next thing. I, I was thinking about working on books on another book I was trying to publish a book a year maybe but uh, it just didn't it didn't work out um, I, I, I don't know if it was just the the subject matter required a little bit of a specific type of work that I just didn't have the um, I guess maybe I didn't have the motivation to to really get into it at the time and and it just I just wasn't feeling the the book thing. I I wanted something I was going to get a little more excited about and I thought was going to be more meaningful for you guys. So I looked back and I, I got to thinking about the newsletter, about the Trapping Today weekly newsletter which if you go to trappingtoday.com, you can sign up for the newsletter, give your email address, it's free and you get a a weekly email um that shows anything that I've posted on trappingtoday.com over the past week. Long story short, I was never happy with the way the newsletter was put together, and, and I just I never did commit a lot of time to to make it anything special. And uh, I, I never, I, I don't know that, I don't know how great a job I could have done where we get a bunch of people, you know, following the newsletter religiously. There's a few hundred people that probably read it every week, but, um, I don't know if that could have turned into a few thousand. I, I do know it would have taken a lot of work and, and I, I just, I didn't, I felt like I wanted to do something a little, that went a little bit beyond that. Um, and so what I'm going to, what I'm putting together is something way beyond <laughs> a weekly newsletter. This is going to be a digital magazine. So the trapping today magazine and I don't yet know how often I'm going to publish this. It could be a quarterly mag. It could be a couple times a year, once a year. It could even be monthly, possibly. Depend. It depends on how well received it is, and uh, and how uh, where it sits in kind of the priority of of the different things that I'm working on. But th- I I started working on this, guys, and I've I've spent a ton of hours on this magazine and I am so excited about it. This is, I, I just, 
I got that feeling. I don't know if you guys ever get this when you when you're working on a specific project and it doesn't feel like work once you get into it and it it's just like it comes natural. It feels like this is what I should have been doing all along. And so th- that's kind of I kind of got that a little bit with this podcast uh, when I when I got going with it and and uh, started getting into things and I felt that way about this magazine. So it is it's going to be fully digital. Nothing. It's not going to be on paper. And to start with, my my initial goal is this is going to be completely free. So uh, you're just you're going to be able to either sign up and uh, and get an email notification where you can click into a website and you can pull that up and read the magazine online. You can read it from your computer. You can read it from a tablet, which actually reads really will read really good on a tablet or, or a, a laptop or desktop. And it, it is optimized to read well on a phone. So you can read it on your, on your mobile phone as well. Um, the way I'm, I'm designing it, the text is all going to be really big. Uh, and it's going to be interactive. So one of the one of my pet peeves has been a lot of the digital magazines I've looked at is they're just basically a PDF copy of a paper magazine. You got to zoom in and out, and you got to mess around with it. You can't click on anything, and it's just it's just like reading the magazine, but way more difficult. So this is going to be an interactive experience. You're going to have trapping stories. You're going to have uh, pictures. You're going to have audio. Uh, there's going to be little sections where you can listen to, say, a podcast episode. There's going to be YouTube video clips you can click on and watch right from the magazine. There's going to be links if you see a product or or you see uh, if I there's a particular article that I I want I'm talking about. You'll be able to click on that article and download it or go to the website where it's hosted and, and read it. So it's going to be like a, a a a new experience. I think it's going to be really neat and uh, I'm excited about it and I I think for I think about what I would want um, in the in the trapping world and of course I subscribe to pretty much all of the the trapping magazines out there or I have in the in the past from one form or another um, trappers post trappers world trapper predator color which is I guess now just trapper um, then I get you know like the NTA magazine and the Alaska trappers magazine and the main trappers newsletter so you know i get, get fur fish game i get that and, and they're all great um and and there is something to be said for the paper copy and and so i, I i'm not trying to compete with that people want to hold something in their hands and read it that's great but this is something this is something that i wanted to provide where it's it's like going to the website trappingtoday.com but everything is put together in one place it is visually pleasing uh it is not the 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 website i felt like the website had turned in kind of just people were finding it because they're searching for things on google and they're just finding that particular page that they search for but it's not really easy to navigate around and and say okay you know oh there's an article on fur handling here oh, there's an article on beaver trapping or there's a review of this type of trap or there's some trapping news here or some fur prices there. So so this magazine is going to pull that all together in one place so you could just click through or flip through very, very easily electronically wherever you happen to be on whatever device you happen to be on. And uh, I, what I want to do to start off with is to get as many 
uh, eyeballs on this thing as possible. And so it's going to be completely free to start. And I, I will explore different models uh, moving forward. It may be a free and advertiser supported. It may be minimal to no ads and just a subscription where you pay to get it. Uh, and or it might be a hybrid between the two where uh, every issue as it comes out could be free um, with ads, of course. Uh, but if you wanted to go back and, and look at and read back issues, maybe you have to pay a couple bucks to read a back issue, for instance. Um, so so I, I'm exploring that, but the beauty of it is with digital, it's uh, very scalable and it, there's essentially no cost of distribution. Just have to, to put it out there and get awareness and, and get people to, to know that it actually exists. And uh, it's not like having to, to have printing costs and mailing costs, which all that stuff is going through the roof anyway. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be cool. I'm going to talk more about it. Uh, as we get closer and when it actually goes out, I think it's going to be um, two or three weeks from the time I record this right now. So it's coming. It's coming. And uh, it's not a super hard date because I still have to, I'm learning a lot of this formatting and editing. And uh, like the biggest thing is learning the, the design program to, to actually be able to put this all together and format it properly. Um, but I'm getting there. So um, I think think this is going to work. Let's try this out. I, I want to f- have a way for you guys to be on the first in line for getting the magazine. If you go to issue.com slash trapping today, that's issue with two U's, I-S-S-U-U.com slash trapping today. Uh, issue, if you guys ha- uh, are not familiar with it, it's an online uh, magazine, digital magazine hosting. Uh, they're basically the biggest one out there and I, I have an account with them issuu.com slash trapping today and it should pop up with my profile it should say jeremiah wood on there and then you can subscribe uh follow or subscribe i can't remember what it wants you to do but you just just click on that to to subscribe and that'll get you in the system uh and that way as soon as i put up the very first issue of trapping today magazine you will get that in your email inbox. So I'm excited for that. Uh, This could be one and done, and it could turn out too much effort and not well received, or this could be the start of something really big. That's, you know, we, that's the exciting part. Uh, The risky part, we just don't know. Uh, I could dump, I could have dumped 200 hours into this and have absolutely nothing to show for it in the end, but it, it could be a hit. So let's, uh, let's try it out. There's only one way to find out. Let's do that. Uh, and, uh, we'll at least if, if nothing else, I'll have a good story to tell. All right, guys, me and Josh Fisher are going to talk trapping. Uh, we had this conversation actually probably two weeks ago now, uh, but, but I had uh, other episodes to get out there, but, um, yeah, we, we just had it back and forth. You know, I, I love talking with Josh. He's a good friend and, uh, he's, he's super passionate about trapping and he's always fun to talk with. So, um, we bounced around a bunch of different topics on our trapping seasons and, and, uh, we actually, we talked, I think we talked quite a bit about sewing fur too. And, a lot of his experiences with that. So let's get into the conversation with Josh Fisher from Fairbanks, Alaska. I like to be 
call people like right at the minute I tell them I'm going to call them because one time an old timer told me he could sit a watch by me and I thought that was a pretty good compliment so people can <laughs> kind of predict it you know but uh we're yeah. going to be squeezing I I looked at I was thinking about some stuff you know and I was like uh, we're not we're going to be pushing it to fit that into an hour so we better get going okay all right Josh again good to have you back man yeah, thanks for having me back. What do you want to talk about? Let's talk about trapping, man. <laughs> How's your season going? <laughs> uh, it's not bad. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of sets out. Um, running a little line here by the house with the daughter. And then uh, got a few snares out up where I moose hunt to see if I can curb the wolf population a little bit. Um, we've got one Martin off the line here by the house. That was the daughter's first one. She made the poles and everything. Uh, the only thing I did was set the trap. She set the whole thing. So she was pretty excited to catch that. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty sweet. And we've got a uh, pretty good size links running around on the line. He's come through three times, just haven't connected yet. So we, uh, we made another set the other night, uh, cause he came through, in the same spot twice now. So we put a set there. Nice. We'll nice. See, how, see how that works out. And, uh, the wife and I just went for a walk on the edge of the property here and seen where, uh, I'm, I think it's the same cat. He's got good sized tracks, uh, came onto the line and then walked down and cut through back towards the trap line. So hopefully when we check the traps tomorrow, we got them hung up. Sweet, sweet. Uh, you're saying you're, seeing martin all over the place this year yeah there's a lot of guys catching a lot of a lot of martin some guys i know having record years um like double what they've caught in previous years trapping the same place for 20 years and like two years ago there was like this big disappearance in martin in a lot of places so what's going on with that i think typically what we see up here is when when the cats come up the the links uh martin go down and now cats have crashed starting oh, two years ago, probably three years ago, maybe. And I think the Martin are just kind of rebounding from that. Yeah. Huh. It, it's, that's typically what you, what you see. You talk to people that have been around a lot. If you're seeing a lot of cats, you're not seeing a lot of Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Martin and Fisher here. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Fisher, you, you did me a solid the other day. Uh, took I I shipped some fishers to uh, to Josh there in Fairbanks and he took them over to Bill Wyvoda, who's a, a fur buyer there. Was it Arctic Raw Fur Company? Yep. Yeah, and so that was pretty sweet because it's hard to negotiate for <laughs> fur prices uh, with a with a buyer over the phone. So Josh was able to to kind of talk with them and show them the furs and stuff. So so it went pretty good, huh? Yeah, I did. Uh, Bill was super excited to see those actually when I walked in. Um, he kind of kind of chuckled to himself, and he's like, "Man, it's been a few years since I bought any Fisher." Uh, he used to get some from a guy down in Juneau. They, they've got a small population that comes over from British Columbia, and uh, he was super excited just to see something different. I think. Yeah, right. I imagine that the same stuff comes in through the doors all every day. It's kind of neat to see something a little bit unique yep his wife came in 
uh, right as we had them up on there. And she said, what do you got there? And I said, oh, they're just some big old Martin. And she, kind of, <laughs> she gave me a funny look and was like, no, I know for those are Fisher. <laughs> we all got a pretty good chuckle out of it. It's so so are they pretty similar to the ones he, that he used to buy? They're, he didn't really talk about the ones that he got out of Juno. Um, the ones that he typically buys come out of Canada, here like north of you. Uh, yeah, like Quebec or mo- yeah, yeah, mostly Quebec. out of Quebec. He, Maybe some. He's always looking for. Yeah, he's looking for darker ones most of the time. Uh, he'll get some from uh, fur harvesters, but also has some people down in Quebec that he gets some. I don't know if it's another fur buyer down there. We didn't get too involved into that discussion. It's it's but interesting because like Martin varies so much in size and color from Maine to Alaska. Uh, I'd be curious to know if Fisher vary at all. I would imagine they do. I know guys from um, like have... Minnesota and Wisconsin area, like the Midwest, send me pictures of like eighteen, twenty pound fishers. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! So I know they're <laughs> they they seem to be bigger there than they are here. A, a you know twelve, thirteen pound is a pretty good one here. Sure, but I was wondering that when you know watching your YouTube videos yeah. and stuff, and you're talking about catching seven, eight, maybe ten pound fisher. And, What's the biggest one you caught, 16 or something like that? No. Um, no, this year, the biggest, I don't I don't even think I caught a 12. I think it was like 11, oh, well. 11 and a half. But they look, well. I mean, I would I would have swore to you it was 14, 15 pounds when I pulled it out of that box, but it, they can be deceiving sometimes. Sure. But. Well, that'd be, I wonder, you know, with your Lynx exclusion devices, if that kind of keeps some of those bigger ones from getting into your sets or you just don't have that big a fisher where you're at you would you would think um like initially like just off the top of your head you think like okay it's common sense right these boxes are are causing the bigger fisher to refuse and when you trapped for a couple of years like i did and have 20 refusals for every fisher you catch in the box you start to believe that so that was, I was 100% in that camp. Like, the, uh, we're just catching Fisher up to 11, 12 pounds because the boxes are restricting the larger Fisher. But then you get years like this year where I, I was catching almost every Fisher that came to the box. So I wasn't mm-hmm. getting very many refusals. So I I really, I'm starting to wonder. And then I, uh, I put together that book, A Fall Fur Hunt in Maine, and that was the Manly Hardy book from the 1850s um and as i don't know if i had anything on i can't remember if it's in that book or not or if it's part of manley's like his other writings but this guy was the largest fur buyer in the northeast back in the 1800s and he at some point in his writings he mentioned that the the biggest fisher that he had seen was like 12 12 or 13 pounds so that got that was pretty interesting to me. I know there weren't as many fishers back then in, in general as there are now, but uh, but still, yeah, I thought that was uh, kind of notable. Like, okay, well, maybe maybe they, we don't have a bunch of eighteen pound fishers here. Maybe not. I've always wondered 
you know, like you'll see black bears from say Pennsylvania or New Jersey, a uh, little bit of those, those more like farming states, if you want to call them farming states now, but uh, you'll see black bears that are like 500 pounds, right? Yep. A big black, a big black bear up here, maybe 300 pounds. Mm. And you're talking, you know, with a seven foot black bear up here, they're big, like lanky. Yep. So I wonder if maybe Fisher is the same thing and in those states or those locations where there's a different food source or more abundant food source than say Maine based based on farming like Wisconsin, New York, there's more farming in those states. I wonder if the availability of food makes them larger, say compared to somewhere rural like Maine. Yeah, the uh, I'm trying to think of like other species. We have a pretty big bear, but of course we're feeding them pretty good uh, through the you know bear baiting for a month before the sure. season. They're getting they're putting on pounds. Uh, I look thinking of beaver, like we we don't have a very big beaver here, and uh, again people talk about fifty to sixty pound beaver all the time, and and the bigger beavers that I weigh are 40, 45 pounds. I mean, occasionally yeah. I'll get a 50 pounder, but they don't get massive. I don't know if maybe, maybe that's part of farm country versus woods beaver. And then the other thing you got going on is that Bergman's rule, right? Where we, we learned in, in wildlife ecology back in school that the, the higher latitude you get into the larger the animals of a particular species are going to be so right i mean that makes sense like thinking of white-tailed deer in northern maine we've got 200 pound dressed white-tail bucks um pretty consistently and and uh you don't see that most other places but then you look at things like like fisher or beaver or other animals i don't know i know our martin or our martin aren't that big but yeah it, there's there's obviously yeah, more than like, just one thing going on. Sure, you're the southern end of the Martin Range too, though. That's a good point. More southern end. Yeah, that's that's. But, yeah, so you'd expect it, by I, that rule that our Martin would be smaller. Right, and when you first sent me Martin, I thought that same thing. I was like, man, these are small Martin, but they're <laughs> they're not for Maine standards. They just are for Alaska standards. Yeah, yeah. I had a. And, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But I, I see the same thing with beaver up here. The biggest beaver I've ever caught was 56 pounds. Okay. Um, but the, the majority of mine, yeah, probably 40, 35, 40 pounds. Yeah. And it's easy. You, you pull out a big beaver out here. You think, oh, man, that's a 50-pounder. Awesome. But put it on the scale. <laughs> put it on the scale right. and see what it weighs. Usually yep. it's uh, it's less than you think. But um, I, That was, reminds me. I had uh, – I recall the Martin in Montana when I trapped there being fairly small, but I, it had been quite a few years and I actually, funny story. I had, when I moved in 2012, I caught a Martin in Montana. One of the ones I caught, I think it was like 20, uh, 2008, probably 07 or 08. And I tagged it and I put it in the freezer because I was going to get it, send it to a taxidermist and, and get it done, get it mounted. I thought it'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, n- I never got around to it. I didn't have the money at the time. 
and you know how that goes. So I had it in the freezer and I was moving. I got the job and was moving back to Maine and I pulled that out of the freezer and I said, well, I guess I'm bringing that to Maine with me. <laughs> so, so I brought it to Maine and I put it in my freezer and that has shifted from freezer to freezer. And uh, two winters ago, I found that at the bottom of the freezer when I was going through a bunch of stuff and I thought, you know what? That is probably absolutely toast. All dried up, freeze dried, whatever. And I thought, I'm going to pull that out and, and see if it's possible to skin that. You know, or just or it just falls apart or whatever. I skinned that thing and I sent it to Moyle and it I got it back and you would never know that ha- that that had had been there in there any longer than a week. No kidding. It was incredible. But but anyway, the reason I bring I thought of that is that Martin was actually bigger than most of the Martin that I catch here. Interesting. So I don't know if that was just that particular one, or I'm trying to think the the others that I caught were they were pretty similar size to that. So, sure. I wonder if uh, elevation has something to do with it. You know, go up in elevation, it's like going up in latitude. It's like going up in a lot of latitude very quickly. Right. Yep. Yeah, right. You go from a a desert ecosystem to a alpine forest to tundra essentially, in uh, right. you know just you could that can happen in in a ten mile stretch. Right. Or less. It's just, yeah, it's amazing how that, how that changes. But yeah. So, so, uh, I guess, yeah. I guess just, just interesting, interest, interesting things to ponder. To ponder. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you go over to Bill's quite a bit cause you get, you get your, a lot of your supplies for sewing fur items, right? Yep. If, if I'm not getting them from you or trapping them myself, I get them from Bill. Um, he's, I, I started selling fur to Bill. Like he's the, the first buyer I really went to and he's always treated me well. And, uh, that, that's what he does full time now. He used to not. Um, and he, he took over from Dean Wilson when Dean Wilson got out of the buying and everything. Um, and, and so I've just always kind of, you know, you, he takes care of me, so I take care of him. And when I need stuff, that's where I go. Yep. Um, For guys that don't know, Dean Dean Wilson was a legend in Alaska, Alaska trapping. Yep. So. Definitely did a lot for the Trappers Association, and um, he. I actually bought my first traps from him when I was first getting into it. Really? Uh, looking for number one long springs, you know, for Martin, and he didn't have any. But he said, "I got this box of zeros right here. These will be fine. You, you just got to hold them." So <laughs> yeah, he was, and and he was right. I've caught plenty of Martin with those zeros. They've been great traps. Yeah. I kind of think about, you know, when I got into trapping and stuff, and I wish I would have got into it a little bit earlier or known who Dean was when I first, you know, met him and all that. But it is what it is. Yeah. And and you guys are in a, a pretty unique situation there where there's a lot of small isolated villages and there's there's really high quality fur and there's a couple of fur buyers in town and basically anybody everybody in Alaska sells to or anybody in interior Alaska sells to those two buyers right yeah pretty much I mean that's that, that's pretty Same. cool 
yeah, and just send, you know, stick it in a box and send it to one of those two and they'll grade it and cut you a check. And I know uh, Joe Maddie used to fly around to the villages. Does he still do that or is he just stayed in, in town? And people go to him? No, he still does that. Okay. He And he goes out and flies link surveys and stuff up, up towards Fort Yukon. Fort Yukon's kind of like the um, the basis for, like, if cats are doing good in Alaska or not. There's a lot of cats around there. You know that. You trap there. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that but, almost every day. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> Lately here, I've been thinking about not coming to Maine this year to go trap Fisher with as well as you did. <laughs> <laughs> See, that that was, uh, that was that'll go down in history as an epic fail in your trapping career. Right. Making the decision. Got a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, for folks who don't know, we had planned earlier to, uh, uh, well, probably a year ago, uh, for you to come yeah, up. Yeah, probably. Because because you guys don't have Fisher, that's a species you had really wanted to catch, and so we we started planning things, and it just kind of didn't work out. So uh, we both have very busy lives and in uh, a lot of commitments, and it's hard to make that work. Um. So, so anyway, you never were able to make it. And uh, so I rubbed it in your face every time I got back from checking traps and pulling out big catches of Fisher. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it was funny. I'd get, I'd, I'd come on. Oh, I can't wait to send, send a picture of Josh, three Fishers, four Fishers. Oh man, this is going to be great. <laughs> oh man. Got a river guy when he gets a chance, right? Yeah. But no, that was good. Oh, uh, one. Yeah, go. 2024 will be here soon enough yeah hopefully we'll still both be be alive and well and and uh able to do it that'd be good yep i i was thinking um you know to, about like like the whole well we got a lot of things to talk about but just you had said something about the market uh the fur market you know going down and we've been talking about that for quite a while the market is almost non-existent for a lot of species, but really I got to thinking about you guys are somewhat insulated from that in a lot of ways because the quality of your fur is so much better than most of the lower 48 for most species. And you have su- such unique animals that there's, there's, um, there's never going to be too many of them produced, like for instance, Wolverine and Wolf. And you also have a lot of local demand for you, the fur that you guys catch there. Nope, you still with me there? We may have lost him. Lucy Josh? I don't hear you anymore. Oh, okay. You still you there now? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry about that. My, my phone messed up on me. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, that, yeah, I, a hundred percent. Um, there's a big demand for wolf here and Wolverine local. Um, the fur buyers have their local markets and, and like you're saying, there's not a lot of that stuff that is caught and brought in, you know, definitely limited quantities. So it's, it's easier for us to sell wolves, Wolverine, maybe not Martin to an extent, but they are high quality Martin and, there are a whole lot of places you can catch Arctic Fox. Not that we have those in Fairbanks, but yeah, definitely guys on the slope. And crosses, are crosses worth much more than Red Fox? 
I, I think it depends on how they're furred. Um, don't I've never caught maybe three crosses up here. I haven't caught a lot of fox. We don't have a lot of fox. Um, but I don't know if the prices are super great on them up here compared to the states. I could probably get yeah twenty dollars for a red right now. Yeah, yeah, it's not not much. I mean, and and yeah, links and Martin, you 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 have swings. Obviously, you have swings up and down in in the value. So there's there is. Right. I mean, you still experience it, but you're not getting you know f- four dollar average on raccoons. <laughs> right. Exactly. You see it like the big thing, you know, Martin is the money maker up here for anybody that runs a long line. So when Martin go from a hundred dollars to fifty dollars, guys complain about that. You know, it's a pretty big hit to take, especially when gas is five dollars a gallon and Yep. But when I first started trapping, you know, Martin were thirty five or forty bucks. So even when I see sixty dollars for a Martin, to me that's still a good price. Yeah, gas was probably a dollar fifty a gallon. Dollar, it might have been close to two dollars back then, but <laughs> it's still cheaper than it is now, yeah. And, you know, and well, snow machines back then were only seven grand, six, seven grand for right. like a brand new one, and now you're looking at 13 or 14, yeah. So, just the cost of getting into trapping is a lot more now than it used to be, yeah. How but is the uh, it, how's the sewing? How's the fur? Fisher Furs garment manufacturing making sewing work going. <laughs> uh, it's doing all right. It's kind of hit or miss. We were busy there just before Christmas. Um, a lot of a lot of our friends hitting us up for stuff for their spouses or kids or uh, whatnot. But it, it's slow. But it we haven't put a lot of advertising out and, and whatnot. It's you know that's a more of a hobby right now that we're trying to morph into well yeah I mean, I just you're, you're doing it in your free time right so right <laughs> you only have so much of that and and the, the more business you take on the less free time you have right and trying to trap and raise kids and yeah. you know a guy can get definitely get uh probably get busier than i am but yeah uh, i enjoy doing it and i I'm not sure how busy I want to be because, you know, you might get to that point where it's like, okay, now this is a, a chore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I really do enjoy doing it. I've, it's, uh, I've, I've run into that so many different times in the last 10 years of creating my own job, uh, creating another job for myself. <laughs> so I've, I've right. been trying to work on, businesses that uh do not require uh like uh, major time commitments that aren't flexible sure but yeah which if if this stayed how it is that's about how it is with me it's it it's not a huge time commitment it is and it is flexible people aren't like banging on my door wanting something made typically so Right now, it fits how our life is at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one thing I enjoy about it is I go out and I can trap beaver. And instead of selling those for 30 or $40 local, 
I can send them out, get them tanned, or I need to learn how to tan myself, honestly. And I can turn one beaver into, you know, a $120 beaver now. Yep. So it, for somebody who's looking to make a little more money off of their efforts trapping, it, it, it pays well. Adds add value. Yep. So I had a pretty and, unique request. Um, you can go go ahead, and then and then I want you to tell me about those mucklucks. <laughs> uh, I, I like I like creating things too that put fur out there for other people to see. You know, we I I have a hat that I wear I all the time now. I have an otter hat uh, made it from scraps from your otters actually. Oh, and nice. <laughs> and then my wife has a lynx hat. The oldest daughter has a silver fox hat, and the youngest daughter has a muskrat and sheared beaver hat. And so we're constantly wearing those things. And then people that we know that we've given hats to or sell hats to, they're wearing them too. So it really is like promoting fur. Yeah. And it, it's pretty common to see up here, way less or way more common up here than say where you're at. Um, and I think it's more accepted in society up here. Uh, yes. Yeah. We, we have the Versus cold weather. We have the cold weather that makes fur functional. Um, and uh, this year hasn't been that cold, but when we've, when we've got cold snaps, uh, the other day it was 10 below here um, in the morning and my wife went out to check the cows and she threw on her, her uh, Martin Fisher hat. And, and uh, I threw on, I went to take the kids down to the school bus and I put on my beaver hat and, so yeah, I mean they we they're they're very functional, but if you go to an event here and uh and you're wearing fur, you're going you might be be looked at a little differently among some people. Some people probably more than not, you know, we're pretty rural and more than not people are going to think that's pretty cool, but it's going to like attract like it, it's going to be like, "Oh, this guy's a little different," you know? Not like like yep. in in Alaska, you, it's probably just like, oh yeah, it's just part of the deal. Yep. Well, we would just to give you an example, we were at the the Santa Claus house in North Pole uh, just before Christmas, and I saw a guy come the in. North Pole. My wife. It, in <laughs> the North Pole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy came in, and I was look. He had a fur hat on, and I look at my what right at my wife, and I'm like, that's a sea otter hat. I've never handled sea otter before, but really? that is, that's definitely sea otter. And, you know, I had my fur hat on, a couple other people did in the store and it's, you know, nobody thinks anything of it, but I finally like happened to walk by the guy and I was like, Hey, I like your otter hat there. And he's like, Oh, you realized it was otter. And I said, yeah, it's sea otter. I can, you know, I can tell that I've handled enough fur and stuff. And then we started talking about that and I, I wish I could handle that stuff, but yeah, we, it's, it's illegal for you too, right? Yeah, at, at the moment it is. Because of like, um, like federal regulations or something on marine mammals? Yes, there are. Um, I don't know all of them, but essentially if you uh, if you have enough Native American in you, you can get a card to where you can handle that kind of stuff. Yeah. At, as, a, as a raw product, you'll say. But say... Okay. Um, say okay. it's already it's already made into a hat or something, and something rips on it, and it's a friend of mine, and they ask me to fix it. I can do it. Okay. It's because it's already it's already a product. Yeah. Um. But and it can't be just 
So it used to be people would just like scribble something on a piece of ivory or a hide, and then that was good enough to make it a piece of art. <laughs> oh, okay, but, but they not... they probably tightened up on that. Yep. Yeah, they've cracked down on that for sure. Huh. Yeah, which is interesting because the otters are kind of exploding. The populations are almost, from what I've read, they're out of control in some areas. Yeah, the sea otter. Yeah. Yeah. That would. I don't know. That's the you know the densest fur in nature. It would be pretty awesome to be able to sew with that stuff. But that is what, colon- is what colonized is. Uh, Alaska, <laughs> right? The, the, yep. the Russians. Uh, yeah, hunting sea otters and and uh, buying sea otters from the the natives. Yep. So, quite a quite a still just as good of a fur now as it was then. Yep. Except except that was when they were taking that those pelts back to Russia. They were making huge huge money off of them. Oh, I imagine. Like unbelievable! Like 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 the most valuable item in the country. Wow. I didn't know that. I was, uh, I I listened to, there's a book, uh, James Missioner uh, wrote a book called Alaska, and it's a, a history of the state. And uh-huh. it kind of tells, it's it's like a thousand page book. It's, it's ridiculous how long it is. So uh, it tells the history of the state through like semi-fictional stories, fictionalized stories based on historical facts, all the way from... Uh, the first natives going across the, the land bridge uh, to to the Russians coming in and, and uh, finding the otters, otters, sea otters in the islands and going up the Yukon and, and settling. And then it just all the way to current till the oil boom. So um, I I think it was 40 hours audiobook and I listened to it while I was sitting in my machine cutting wood. So nice funny you mentioned that book because one of the guys that i work with and i talked about that book uh either late last spring or early this summer yeah Uh, same thing he listened to it when he's driving just and recommended it to me i just haven't taken the steps to find it myself but sounds really interesting to listen to yeah for sure there's a couple others there's several obviously there's so many things on alaska that that you can read or listen to but um i get a couple others in my audible uh, library that I get to get around to. So, um, right. Mucklocks. I, 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 that was a, quite a request that, that was, it was a challenge that, that I laid on you. It was it to not, to not have any guidance doing something new and, and doing it differently. You know, you want to defer on the inside versus the outside. Um, that was, it was a good learning process. It was a good challenge. I, I got frustrated and annoyed, <laughs> but I enjoyed it at the same Cuss, time. Cussing at, at me. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure. So I, I, I sent you four tanned otter pelts from that I caught here in Maine. And yep. I, I wanted a pair of mucklucks. And so for folks who don't know, those are like the traditional native uh, footwear in in the arctic they are uh, extremely warm and uh fairly durable they they are not waterproof for the most part so so you gotta watch them with that but but basically i i thought you know i was looking at these otter pelts and trying to decide what i could do with them and and uh what would be good 
good thing to to make out of them. And the one thing you know you had sent me, you'd made me a couple of hats and pairs of several pairs of mitts and, uh, and all that stuff. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, I really would love to have. You know, I'm looking for functional things. We talked about a vest maybe, but that's a challenge as well. Um, and and uh, I really really got the more I thought about it, the more and especially after I'd gone there and trapped. Uh, in the interior I and I I just kept thinking how awesome it would be to have a pair of mucklucks and so those otters I read somewhere online that someone had made uh, mucklucks out of otter so I thought that would be pretty cool to try but like you said I I wanted um, I wanted the fur on the inside because I didn't care what it looked like I I just I wanted the I don't know. I, I I want. I felt like it would be like the ultimate warmth and comfort to have that warmth and cushion of all the fibers of the fur, the hair, on the inside of the boot. And so, right. um, I kind of threw that at you, and I sent you four pelts, and I said I want a pair of mucklucks, and I want, uh, I want the fur in, and uh, and uh, you figure out the rest. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Pretty much that's exactly what you did, <laughs> but it worked out fine. Um, one one thing that I think made it a little easier with you wanting the fur on the inside is I didn't have to worry so much about uh, color matching, which that that's kind of a big a big deal when you start sewing fur and stuff. Um, the colors have have to be matched on on the surfaces. Like if you have a seam somewhere it's very, very obvious if the color doesn't match or the hair is a different length. So being able to put the fur on the inside on the mucklucks made that part a little easier. But the difficult part, I guess it wasn't difficult, but it was a lot more work because the size of the pieces of fabric, if, if you will, fabric, the sizes of the pieces of hide that you had to use had to be so big it was bigger than you could get out of one otter so i had to piece together a lot okay smaller pieces i don't think i realized that yeah and it it worked out all right um the biggest problem was you know you you have size what you told me a size 11 foot i think Mm -hmm. and and to have a piece of fur big enough to encompass like the bottom of your foot and wrap around and start to come over the top ends up being a lot bigger than you would think. So that's all one piece? Um, yep, except okay. on one of them. The other one, I kind of had to piece, I think, three pieces together to make that work. Um, but the sole, then, you, don't, you don't sew together the sole separate from the, the legging portion? Yes. Oh, you do? Okay. Yep. Yep, it's just, you'd be surprised at how big that sole piece is, which I was when I, like, traced, when I traced my foot out um, when I built my pattern for these, it ended up being, I want to say 17 inches long really? and yeah. And nine, nine or 12 inches wide for the foot. Yeah. And then as far as the legs coming up, those were 15 by 17 and a half, I think to get the heights that they were. Yeah, so you, so you I can start, see that you cut open one otter pelt and you don't have that there. You, you really, right. Yeah, that that takes a lot, and and I can see where you'd have ma- matching issues with matching because the back of that otter is one color and the belly is another color, 
and you don't have nine yep. inches on the back of, of those belts. Right. Huh. And then even when you get up into like the shoulders and in between the front legs, now you're constricted, but like how wide you can go there yep. and the color changes there too as well. But like you said, not as big of a deal with the mucklucks because I could hide that inside. So you did me, I did you a favor. <laughs> yeah. By hiding the, putting the fur inside. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but however, I didn't realize it was going to go this way. Um, it, well, first off, how did you make your pattern? How do you, how do you do that? So I got a, a pattern out of Canada for slippers and mucklucks. And there was one other thing on it. So, so, um, so people sell these? It, yes, they sell, you can, there are some places, I don't recall the name of the place we got this from. Um, but essentially it was like a written instruction of how to do it. Oh, cool. It, it wasn't, yeah, I had to build my own pattern for it. Um, and they leave it opened as far as how high you want them. So then that was me measuring like my calf and then how high I wanted it and kind of guessing that your legs are about the same size as mine or hoping that they are, Yeah. you know, without asking you to take all these measurements and try to explain that over the phone. Right. Um, but yeah, the directions are there written, which sometimes trying to interpret written directions and how to sew things is a little bit more difficult. And then I, I strayed from some of that, you know, start thinking about how I want things to look when I'm done. Um, and you've, and, you've sewed enough <laughs> other items that you kind of know what, you know, what you're going to run into potentially, right? Yeah. And one of the things I had to think about when I, you know, was putting fur to the inside is which direction do I want the fur to flow, especially like on the sole, if it was pointed forward or back, I wasn't sure how that was going to like poke into socks and start poking you in the foot or if it would wear out faster facing forward, sideways, whatever. Okay. Ultimately I decided to, to put it sideways on the soles. Um, and then I guess technically sideways in the legs too. I didn't want to facing up. So yeah, like when you slid them on, they would always try to fall down. I was thinking about that. Like I, cause I, I was thinking, um, like I was thinking, I wonder how he did that. If, if the fur is, is pointed up, then they're going to constantly want to slip down on my leg and not want to go back up. Right. And, uh, I would so, th- I, you would think so. Right. Right. So I, yeah, I, when I got those, I felt around like, oh, he did it. He didn't do it up. He didn't do it down. He did it sideways. <laughs> right. And part of that was thinking too is like not rubbing up and down on on your legs or on your socks and just yeah. pretty much depending on that tie that I put in the top. And that was another thing. There was nothing about yeah. like how to. Tie. Yeah, because you see so, a lot. You see a lot of mucklucks on on a line, and they have like this intricate ra- wrapping all around, like the whole height of them you know what i mean yep like like this lacing that goes all the way up from the 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 sole all the from the foot all the way up the leg and uh i i don't know if that's even necessary the ones you got you made for me i that i have not found that to be necessary yet that's good i was kind of curious about that i was hoping that was going to work out so the, the top, i think you probably you pro- the, the top um the tie there, I, I try, I can't tie that very tight. I can't tighten it. It's just the way the, um, the leather, you, you make a, 
you know, you make a knot like you're going to tie a shoe, right? And you try to pull that tight. Right. It just doesn't pull tight. Um, I don't know if it's because of the friction with the leather or, or because of the material that, that it's going through. But what I found is I'm tying them in the back. So I, I just run them okay. instead of tying in the front. I just run them to the back, like behind my calf and tie it there. Yep. And it holds great that way. Okay. So I don't know if that, okay. if that is a design anybody does, but I think it works pretty good. Would it, do you think it would be better to have say where the leather's attached in the back and come around and you tie it in the front? It probably doesn't really make a difference. I don't it know might. if it'd look better. It, 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 it would be, it would probably be a little more functional if you're constantly, you know, taking them on and off. Sure. They stay up pretty well. So far. Yeah. I haven't, um, okay. I, I, I've worn a little bit, uh, like without, wool socks and they come they like to come down a little bit doing that but when i have my wool socks underneath um there's they're tight enough against my leg that they stay up yeah okay one of the reasons i went as high as i did with them is so that it would get above where your calf you know would start to narrow up again just below your knee yeah hoping that that would help it up because i didn't really want to have to do the wrap like you see with the the commercial mucklucks and stuff yeah um i guess i'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that, but I, I think it just messes. Blood. I mean, you want airspace there, right? Cause you want that to be insulating and warm. So by, right. by tying that tight, it, it seems to me you're just compressing that the fur and the airspace and you're, you have less insulation there. Sure. A good thought. I don't know. But anyway, it was the weirdest <laughs> feeling, man, walking around with those. Uh, it, it, it was like when I first took him out in the snow, it was like um, it was like being in slippers in the snow. It was so it was so strange. <laughs> it was like this shouldn't this can't be right. I'm I'm walking barefoot in in the snow, but I'm not wet right. and I'm not cold. <laughs> yeah, there. I was surprised like after I was finished them how heavy they felt, but then when I put them on to see how they fit and stayed up and everything, the how light they felt on your legs, now, like on your feet and everything. Yeah, and now now people yeah, you're right because when you pick them up they're heavy. They feel heavy. But they're probably right. um they're probably one fifth the 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 weight of a boot or less. Right? 20 25% the weight of a standard boot. Yeah. I bet yeah, they're probably. I bet they're lighter than that even. Um they're probably 10 10% the weight of a bunny boot. <laughs> But you added Probably. you added a bunch to this, so I didn't know realize this was gonna have to to work this way, which makes it a lot more effort for you and, and more cost. Um, so so I was thinking, oh, he's just gonna flip the otter pelt inside out and and sew it, and and the um, the leather from the otter pelt will be the out external part of the moccasin. But uh, you didn't you didn't you didn't stop there. No, well like I was talking earlier, having to patch the pieces of otter together. If I would have put just that leather on the outside, there would have been all kinds of stitching visible. So I decided to take some of my moose leather that I had, the brown colors and the two, I like, I like the idea of having the two tone. Yeah. Know, like the, the sole is different than the, the leg piece coming up. Um, but I, the moose hide is big enough 
that I could make one solid piece out of that. And so then they're the only seams you have are the ones there on the front and they're on the front, right? Yeah. Yeah. On the front, um, essentially tying the, the upper part of the leg all the way down to the sole. Um, and then putting, you know, different color strips in between those kind of tie to me, it like tied everything together and, um, made it look like a finished product. It, it, looking at it, it, it and now that I have them, I wouldn't want it done any other way. Like yeah, that good. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I looked at though, I was like, Oh man, this was way more work. <laughs> there was way more work involved. And I still don't know right. how you, how you got that to, uh, to wrap that. And are, are they, are the two layers sewn together in several different places? How does that work? Nope. Just, uh, they're, just the they're sewn together right at the top of the, the leg and that's it. And I did it like that on purpose because I wanted you to be able to pull, turn them, essentially turn them inside out, pull the fur ah, out and everything. If they I got, haven't tried that yet. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You can reach in there and grab the toe and those will pull right inside out. And I did that like that in case they got wet so you could dry them. Awesome. Awesome. So always thinking about functionality when I'm building stuff. Yeah. And the, the moose hide is, I'm sure is way more durable than the, uh, the otter hide would have been. Yeah. Um, I actually, on the sole part, I got thicker moose hide specifically for that. Um, it's almost twice as thick as the part for the leg. Yeah. Cause that's going to take a beating. Oh. And some people, some of the mucklucks I've seen, they actually may have rubber soles. They, they sew onto them. Right. So, but the, I assume that the traditional muckluck was, pretty darn similar to the way you made it yeah i would bet and that was what i was going for that was what i thought you were looking for yeah yeah it was right to the t the only problem is they were so beautiful that i did not want to do anything to them and uh finally i decided to to treat them with uh oh it's a it's a beeswax mix mixture it's like a kind of like snow seal um and, and you rub it, you rub it into the moose hide and to waterproof it and protect it. And, uh, I did it to the soles, but I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to get myself to do it to the upper portions yet because that, that raw moose hide <laughs> is just so pretty. You know, I hate, I hate, I hate to darken it and discolor it with the, with the grease. Sure. I don't, you know, I don't know if you have to do it to those uppers because even with mittens and hats, the, they get wet regularly and they dry out fine yeah yeah true but, but definitely i would say definitely like you did with the lowers because that's constant contact with snow or being wet yeah. i think that'll help it last a lot longer and we did talk about doing some sort of rubberized sole that i don't remember what that 3m product was that you sent me but Oh, I, I was a little remember. leery to do it. <laughs> I do not remember that. Yeah. That was a, quite a while back. I could scroll through the text and find it, but um, uh, I've, I was a I've, cha- I've lost. I lost my phone since then, so I don't think I have those. <laughs> I'll just send it to you. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a little leery to do that up here and then send it down to you after, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to do it to where it was still going to fit your foot versus my foot or me guessing how big your foot was. And, right. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't sure how stiff that was going to get when it dried. Yeah. And it, trial run, I guess. 
it was it was a great experience um so would you do it again or was it too much work uh i think i'd do it again it now now that i've been through it and kind of know what i'm gonna run into as far as roadblocks on it i think it would be a lot easier yeah yeah probably probably and i know what i'm and i know what i'm getting into how long it's gonna take me and yeah what to expect out of it what what does a pair what would a pair of those cost I think it depends on what fur you want them made out of, but as I made them for you, I would say probably around five hundred dollars is what I would have to charge just to cover the the materials and some of my time. With uh, with the per- with you providing the fur. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 very reasonable. I think. Jeez, I was thinking you were going to yeah. say seven or eight hundred dollars. No, I well, I mean, if you take your four otter, those are probably probably get them for a hundred dollars a piece so there's 400 bucks and then it's probably a hundred dollars a moose side so i guess i wouldn't be getting any money for that but yeah you might get them i don't i don't know if you could get them for less than that just depends on yeah they might be a hundred you would know you'd see you bill i'm sure bill has them there at the, the shop yeah i think the last ones that i bought were around 90 between i'd say not between 90 and 110 um but the thing, you know, about that too is obviously I, there was enough left over. I made a hat out of the scraps. Right. And yeah. So there's something there. Yeah. Right. So you throw a hat in there too, and just just say seven seven fifty for a hat and a pair of mucklucks. Yeah. I'd probably I'd probably make a hundred dollars on that. For yeah. All of my time for <laughs> you wouldn't be making much, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> I should, what I should have done is time myself on how long it took to make those mucklucks. I probably have 15 hours into them, I bet, 12 yeah, or 15 hours. I didn't want to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, you know, there was a learning curve there. I, yeah. And building the pattern and, and, and figuring things out, which you, I guess that's the part of the challenge I enjoyed. You're going to have to get a machine eventually. Yeah, probably. One of those heavy duty. <laughs> then you have to sit there and pull every stitch through. Yeah, there's uh, there's something about doing it by hand that I really enjoy, though. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, just the aspect of doing it by hand, or if it's I don't know. I, I guess I'm old-fashioned in that way i guess <laughs> yeah no it's, i don't know if it's that's less, the right word for i could see it's less industrial it's more relaxing you know um i can see that you sit down in front of a sewing machine in a special room for your work and you, it's versus you know maybe sitting down watching a show with the kids and and sewing together a hat i mean i can see it how it's it's uh yeah it it, it. yeah like, and that's you know that's the thing i do it like exactly what you're saying i'm sitting down watching tv with the kids or or something along those lines and it's just kind of a pastime yeah well that's good well i appreciate that again i uh i, I you you obviously know i'm super happy with them so i hope you make yourself a a pair next. <laughs> That'd be, 
yeah, maybe I will. It'd be, it'd probably be a good thing to have, honestly, as, as much as we're out here, you know, in the cold. It'd definitely be interesting to try, compare them to bunny boots. Hard, hard to beat those things. Right. I don't think, I don't think they're going to be as warm, but I, I, what I see them as is something you use when you're moving, when you're walking through the snow, running a trap line. Um, if you're sitting on a snowmobile and the, your feet are just on the runners of the machine, you're probably going to want bunny boots, right? Um, I, I don't see yeah, I guess mucklucks as a good utility there because I really think your feet would get cold. But uh, I guess that. But if you're moving, if you're walking behind a dog sled or if you're just running a foot line, I think that they're ideal. They're, they're lightweight. They're comfortable. Um yeah, just the feel, just like like the feel of. Um, I don't want to sound sound like a hippie or anything, but uh, the, the 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 feel of walking barefoot in the summer. There's something to it, right? Um, right. Just feeling the ground, feeling the uh, the all of the complexity of the things things that you're walking over. Uh, you kind of get that with with these soft sole um, moose hide and, and otter pelt. Uh, it was the only thing between you and the ground and the snow. Sure. That does sound kind of hippie-ish. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to meditate after we're done. <laughs> okay. There's nothing wrong with feeling connected to the world, I guess would be a way to put it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's... Well, it's not... It, it sounds hippie-ish because I have not found a way to adequately describe it. <laughs> what else do you want to talk I about? We're, 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 running, we're running against the clock. you got to go pretty soon, huh? Yeah, I do. i got to go pick the kids up from school. Oh. I guess speaking of kids, that's been, uh, it's been an enjoyable experience uh, getting the oldest daughter out. She's 10 years old now, but getting her out trapping and – kind of migrating through how to keep a young person entertained when you're not <laughs> catching stuff. <laughs> yeah, I I could uh I could take some pointers on that. What I don't do know got? if I got any pointers for you, but <laughs> I've uh... got two, I've got a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old and uh the I find that the 6-year-old is far more patient than the 9-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably depends on the personality of the kids because the eight-year-old really isn't that interested. She she comes out when I'm skinning stuff in the garage, and and she likes to watch for a little bit, but then she kind of loses interest. Whereas the oldest one, um, she I helped her skin that Martin. We're talking about maybe surprising her and taking it to a taxidermist and have it mounted. We just haven't quite decided if that's what we're going to do. Um, but I had a cross box the other day that I, that I caught up on my wolf line, um, got, in a, got into a, a Wolverine bucket set, which you don't typically see with Fox, but nice suitcase catching a three thirty. Yeah. I, said, I, I looked at that. I said, what is that? <laughs> I, said, I think I said, is that a cross box? You're like, no, it's a wolf. And I, you thought yeah. I was asking about a previous picture that you sent of a wolf. <laughs> right. Which I did did catch one of those. Should have had more. There was eight in the pack, but 
I hung some more snares up for them. Hopefully they come back through the same area. Yeah. And, uh, but Ella is the oldest one. She's really interested in that. And she helped me skin the Fox and, um, a little bit with the wolf. We ran into bedtime issues then because it takes quite a few hours to process a wolf. <laughs> yeah. I imagine. And I think I, I think I had four and a half hours into that by the time I had it washed and boarded and, um, turned again because it, it was just white enough and just bloody enough. I decided I needed to wash it before I dried it and make it presentable for the buyer. Yeah. So how, how did you dry, dry that a little before you get it on the board after it's washed? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I hang it up and let it drip dry. And then I actually take a, a blow nozzle on my air compressor and blow a bunch of the water off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it obviously put it, put it on the board first side in first and get it to where it's not tacky before I flip it. And then I actually put it on a different board. I, yeah. Okay. I have, I have enough boards. I can, I can do that because obviously I don't usually don't catch, you know, five wolves at a time, but you put a fan um, on it when, when it's drying. Yep. Yeah. And the tricky part about that I that I struggle with with wolves and stuff is it's a lot of hide to dry, especially after you wash them. It takes a long time, even after you flip them fur side out again. It takes a long time for that leather to dry. You mean it's not like a Martin but where it's like twenty minutes and you got to flip it? <laughs> yeah, no, not like that. It, most of the time, I put the wolf on and it stays uh, hide side out for a lot of times. I'll leave it overnight, and then the next morning I'll go out and flip it first thing. Yeah. Um, and then it stays on the board for three days, four days after that, before the face and stuff is dry enough to where it won't lose its form if you pull it off. Yeah. But then you also start running into, okay, I got to get this off so I can get enough air in there to get things dry so they don't rot. Yeah. I kind of had that with, with fishers. I was trying to, I was trying to make sure I wasn't leaving them on too long. And I also was running short of boards too. Um, and I, I did, I put a little bit, I, I got a coyote guy put me onto this, um, use a little bit, a bit of borax, like under the armpits and, uh, yep. and in the, the face portion, like portions where they're a little bit slower to dry just to kind of give them, give them a little more time and keep them from rotting. Yep. It's the same thing I do with wolves. It, it's, it's worse on, you know, when you snare them because they get that water head. Yeah, maybe you yeah. haven't experienced that but yeah it yeah you can don't tell them that, don't talk about that on the on uh around people in maine that's what caused us to lose coyote snaring in the state was uh oh really the, oh yeah the, the water we had jellyhead coyotes uh and the there was a uh a guy that said uh they're taking too long to die um uh. And, and so because of that, the, the antis went crazy and, and wolves are suffering as part of this state-sponsored coyote snaring program. So we lost it. Um, you know, well, we can, we can make them die a lot quicker, but we're going to have quick kill snares with springs on them, and then it's going to kill any link. It potentially could kill a endangered lynx. So um, there's, always, right. there's always trade-offs there. But, uh, but yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. It kind of makes a mess. It's just it, all yep. it is is that the there there's there's still um, blood and fluids that are circulating 
after the animal's caught and prior to the time when it it's completely expired. Yep. yep. So. And that'll happen, you know, bad catches and I've I've had wolves that, that you know the hair gets hung up in the, yeah. the lock and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it just so doesn't it's just like a leash. Yeah. I mean, I th- we all, we all want them to either be be you know just restrained without being hurt or be completely dead as quickly as possible. But there's just going to yep. be situations where that that's not always going to happen. Yep. It definitely does. Yep. Yeah. But back to the conversation there is yeah borax yeah geez we went on on a little bit of a tangent there (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's good to discuss that stuff you know i i was i didn't know that's why snaring and didn't maim well that's that was the that was the controversy um that put it on the chopping block and then the lynx canada lynx listing was taking place around the same time and so um it was first the program if I remember right, the, the coyote snaring was a state-sponsored program. The state was actually paying trappers to, to go into deer yards and snare coyotes to save deer. And hmm. and it was actually pretty successful. I, I had some friends who, some older guys that, that were working pretty hard around some deer yards, and they were, they were saving a lot of deer. But uh, that, I believe, if I remember right, that, that uh, jellyhead um, situation, they, they, the the a university professor wanted some samples because to look for I don't know some study they were working on, and he got the samples in and he said, "Oh, look at all these jellyheads!" and he brought a made a big stink about it to the state, and that got out to the media and uh, that the state was sponsoring this program that was causing coyotes to suffer, and so um, that that as I remember that suspended the program, and then in the meantime the whole links federal listing of lynx on the endangered species act kind of was underway and so uh, when the program was suspended it was never never reintroduced reauthorized i see and at that that's the same time you guys lost your ability to use snares as yeah private uh, trapper yeah that was the only situation where we were able to use snares was was the special coyote snaring and you had to you had to go through a program, um, an educational program. You had to be part. You, a, a private trapper, could never use snares on land as far as long as I've been alive. Um, oh, okay. I, I think it was, you know, the early snaring technology was terrible, and there was a lot of concern over catching people's pets, which which sure. I, I can understand. Um, I think you know nowadays we could we could manage that very easily with with modern snare uh, techniques, but. Anyway, that at the time you you only could snare four coyotes under this program if you were authorized by the state. Gotcha. But I mean, most I'm glad we don't have a lot of guys. A lot of guys got authorized. Like you would be authorized, you know. It was because uh, <laughs> they there was a, so much uh, public sentiment, especially well in northern Maine. Maine is two states, as most people who live here. Right. or live around here know and uh, in northern maine there was so much public sentiment and support for this program and people want to kill coyotes that, that you know they wanted everybody in this program but right so yeah that's that um so so when i was there in 2020 trapped with jim and then i stayed with you for a little while very short while um we were we went and checked a cage trap behind the house w- with your daughter 
And uh, was that kind of like your introduction to getting her excited about trapping? Uh, yeah, I would say it was. It was uh, mostly because um, of trapping right there by the house and not wanting to catch somebody's dog or something. So I built this cage trap to try. Um, and it was because we had a lynx uh, coming in and out of the property, I don't know, maybe three times um, in a six-week period, probably every two weeks it came through. Yeah. So we wanted to – she was excited about it, wanted to see it. And so we – made that effort to sorry the wife was yelling at me oh <laughs> made, that, made, made that effort to tell her to yell louder it. i didn't hear her. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah that i'd say that's where like her first interest in trying to catch something yeah was yeah so it's um, kind of like my kids just I, just close to the home and just something to be excited about to go check a trap you know, right. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, probably a little take home for people that what we have experienced is that just, just getting them excited with something small and, and see if they take to it. And if they do, then try to get them out on, you know, setting traps and doing, maybe doing a little more. Right. Yeah. I, I wish we had, you know, Martin or, or uh, Muskrat or something like that up here where there was a lot of numbers of them. Yeah. Because trying to get kids involved with something where you're not seeing like high catch rates. I think it's hard to keep them entertained with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Ella just asked me about, uh, trapping some squirrels and what about here in front of the house. So there you go. <laughs> might help her get, get a little squirrel line <laughs> set up here in the trees. Awesome. Perfect. All right, man. Well, I know yeah, you got to run. Yeah, I suppose it is that time. Yep. But we should do this again. Yes, we do. We haven't got we got through about oh two thirds of the list, so um, we'll we'll get you back and do it again. And uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. You too.